Streaming from Abby Cat Recording Studio in Chicago. You are listening to Influence, a podcast where we explore what makes great music influential. Welcome to the uh, next episode of Influenced. My name is Blake Sokoloff. And I'm Robert Dean. And this week we're doing Electric Light Orchestra and kind of by extension of that, Jeff Lynn. He's had a very large career in the music industry producing everyone from Roy Orbison to Tom Petty to actually the, the Beatles. He's had quite the storied career and he definitely gets a lot of his start and a lot of his um kind of know-how from his time with his band ELO. Yeah, huge huge amount of creativity with ELO in the 1970s when it all started for Jeff Lynn and his co-founder of ELO, Roy Wood, who actually only lasted about 2 years with the band, but uh they had this big idea of doing pop music. It's around 1970 you know, doing pop music with an orchestral background. They were into the fact that by the end of the 60s, like, rock was expanding a little bit. Like, they were very influenced by, like, the the Beatles and the Beach Boys. And, the Moody Blues. And, and the Moody Blues and, the, and bands like the Hollies and things like that. Like, a lot of those kind of British rock bands that had sort of also started to kind of use the studio as an instrument in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. And Roy Wood and Jeff Lynne had actually... Uh, been playing music together kind of throughout the last few years of the 60s in a band called The Move, right? Um, which is actually where I think they actually ended up meeting a few of the uh, other guys that they would eventually draft in to uh, kind of be the other permanent, to to some regard, members of ELO. I mean, Jeff Lynn is kind of the only permanent and consistent member of Electric Light Orchestra, but the uh, keyboardist Richard Tandy has also been around for a number of years and continues to play with them now. And uh, Bev Bevan, as on on kind of drums and percussion, the two of them have kind of been around since kind of the end of the days of the move and kind of the very beginning of, yeah. of ELO, because when it when it started out, it was very much like a, a, a kind of rock band. Like, I'll play a, a track here um, off their very first album real quick, um, just called, uh, 10,538 Overture. So it's got quite the, um, quite the sort of heady name. They were sort of in the space of their band. They were inspired a lot by like the beginning of what would kind of become prog rock Mm -hmm. and things like that, where songs were getting kind of long. Like a lot of the songs were over five, maybe even six minutes long and there was also a lot of ex- studio experimentation outside of just your typical rock band instrumentation. Like it wasn't just bass, drums, guitars. They were they were doing a lot of overdubbing with with classical musicians or just session musicians and things like that. But here's the electric like orchestra for this first album, No Answer, 1971. <laughs> Thank you. 
So that song in particular uh, drew some attention, uh, their debut album. But when you listen to it, it sounds a little raw to me. You oh, know, definitely, yeah. When you compare yeah. that to like their 1975 album, Face the Music, and oh, like certainly. Evil Woman and uh, Strange Magic, you know, the, the, you know, it really sort of punctuates Jeff Lynne's growth as a producer definitely. Uh, in just like three or four years. Definitely. Like I'll play, uh, I'll play a few, few bars of evil woman here real quick off their 1975 album, face the music. And this is, this is one of their bigger hits. I mean, this song has almost 50 million plays on Spotify. So it's definitely stood the test of time as one of their seminal tracks. And, um, it definitely, you definitely get to hear the kind of expansion into like Jeff Lynn really knowing how to use the studio. Cause like in that, in that first song on the, on the uh, 10,538 Overture, you can hear like the beginning of like working in some cello and some things like that in the, in the studio, but it's kind of all just in this big rock band mush. Whereas like mm-hmm. over the over the years since that first album, Jeff Lynne really figured out how to arrange everything. So everything kind of had its own space in the mix and in, in the songs and, and, and within the music. And Part of part of that sort of raw feel might have been a little bit attributed to to Roy Wood. I know he was a bit of a cellist in his own yeah, right, so yeah. he was he was probably playing some of those cellos and things like that. Right. And when you've got when you've got one of your main band members kind of doing some of those parts, it can be it can be harder to get them to play a certain way than it could be to great bring point. in a bring in a certain to bring in a session player who can be like. There, if the session player is not playing cello the way you might totally want it to suit the song, you can kind of be like, "Hey, just play it a little <laughs> differently." Where if it's a if it's a whole band member and you're trying to get them to suit the song, some tensions can arise, yeah. and maybe some. I mean, Roy Wood didn't last much longer after that first album, so I don't I don't totally know too much. Jeff Lynne doesn't talk about their relationship that much these days, but who there, there might've been some uh, tensions between the two of them kind of wanting to push the band in in different directions. And you do have on that first album, you do even have Roy Wood, like singing some lead vocals Mm -hmm. on it, almost half the album, which is the only real other than like the occasional spot. Like later on, we're going to talk about the Xanadu soundtrack with Olivia Newton, John, which is, which does have, have one or two occasions of Jeff Lynn not singing lead vocal on a on a track, but but other than that first album, Jeff Lynn is pretty much sang the lead vocal on almost every ELO song since. So I I do think that kind of tells you that he was kind of the leader of this band and kind of what really wanted to, or the the driving force behind this sound. So so that, that I know that was a bit of a tangent, but here's Evil Woman from Face the Music and just really pay attention to the like the the difference between the orchestration and the arrangement between just that first track from their first album overture and 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 evil woman off off face the music
Okay, so right there you can really hear Jeff Lynn had ELO extremely polished by 1975. Oh, definitely. I mean, like, just comparing, like, the uh, the just kind of clunky cello in that first song to the, the right. way the strings are so well, so well and nicely arranged in that song is just, like, a testament to the improvement that Jeff Lynn had as a producer and as an arranger and songwriter in just a few years. Like it's really just a couple years since that first album. Yeah. I mean, that's her fifth album. Yeah, exactly. They came out, Jeff Lynn and ELO came out with, I think six albums in five years. I mean, yeah. just a really yeah. quick, you know, production and his just production capability just continued to just flourish. The kind of taking those strings in like that is definitely like uh is one of the biggest things that he wanted to do with with ELO as a as a project and kind of taking that classical um excursion. And I, I wanna kinda of play it's it's going back an album or two, but but I do wanna kinda of highlight just like one of the most famous kind of uses of classical music and sort of ELO's discography has gotta be like the um way they actually um they they covered the kind of famous roll over Beethoven Chuck Berry song, um, which is kind of just like a standard rock and roll track. Like the Beatles have a very just straight rock and roll cover of that song yeah. with, with George Harrison on lead vocals. But, but ELO decided to cover that song and actually intersplice in some of um, Beethoven's fifth symphony, which I'm going to play a, uh, a, a few seconds of here real quick. Just like one of the most famous classical pieces probably of all time um, with one of the most kind of iconic intros of any classical piece really mm -hmm. so i'll play the i'll play a quick recording of the beethoven's fifth symphony um taken from a 2014 orchestral recording but here is beethoven's fifth in c just for a few seconds just before i play the um elo rollover beethoven but here is beethoven's fifth just for a second So obviously one of the most kind of iconic pieces of classical music that probably still exists in the in the music canon these days. Here's Rollover Beethoven, the Electric Light Orchestra version off their second album, Electric Light Orchestra 2 from 1973. And this is the last album to feature any contributions from Roy Wood. He's he's only on one or two songs on this album. He's definitely not a co-frontman like he was for the first album, but this is the last album to feature any contributions from Roy Wood uh, from 1973, Electric Like Orchestra 2, Roll Over Beethoven. Great example of Jeff Lynn just rocking it out, but rocking it out with a with a, almost a whole orchestral backing, which is <laughs> right. kind of which is kind of 
definitely not something you see every day and definitely one of the things that made ELO unique, especially in the early 70s. And like, I mean, it, this isn't necessarily maybe the most unique thing about about Jeff Lynn's um, musical, I guess, influences, but to, to say he was influenced heavily by the Beatles. No doubt. Given that everyone, especially from the 70s to 90s, is heavily influenced by the Beatles. But I do want to just kind of highlight real quick, like especially like a lot of the later kind of era Beatles, like once they kind of got to the point where they were actually incorporating a lot of classical music kind of a, a couple of years before ELO would really, really get into the mix. But like once the Beatles really settled down and all, kind of along a lot of those White Album and Abbey Road and Let It Be era, Beatles cuts are very, very influential to Jeff Lynne's songwriting and Jeff definitely just like the um, way that he approaches music and and kind of arrangement and everything like that. And Jeff Lynne definitely in kind of later in his career, which we'll touch on in, in just a few, in just a few uh, minutes here, he, he actually got to kind of the chance to work uh, as a producer with, with a number of the Beatles actually working with the Beatles themselves for their anthology project. But um, I do want to just real quick here, want to play the long and winding road off of the let it be album. This is actually from the uh, 2021 kind of remix that the Beatles recently released for the album, which features some, some great remixes. And you can really hear the, the string parts on these, on these songs, even, even in more high definition than you probably could before. And a remixed in, entirely by George Martin's son, Giles Martin. Here's the long and winding road off the Beatles, 1970 album. Let it be remixed for, for, for a uh, modern day, uh, listening in, uh, 2021. But here's the long and winding road. The long and winding road that leads to your door will never disappear. I've seen that road I'm glad you played that um, most recent mix. It sounds amazing in Abbey Cat. And, you know, um, Jeff Lynn and ELO, I mean, they went through this this patch of time, 75, 76, 77, where they came out with, he came out with Face the Music, a new world record, Out of the Blue, and just uh, in rapid succession. Yeah. And sort of took the UK and the US by storm. Oh, was. definitely. A new world record was kind of the biggest uh, they had ever had yeah. on the charts, like like Living Thing, Telephone Line, and Do Ya all did very well on the charts. And Telephone Line was actually a, I believe, top 10 hit in mm -hmm. both the US and the UK, which was kind of a big deal yeah. at the time for, for a band to get like a top 10 hit. That's the same song from the same album and both the US and the UK charts, was, which actually hadn't really been done by too many artists since the Beatles, given that like the Beatles had by this point been broken up for about five or almost six years now. So I'm going to play Telephone Line here off of A New World Record. 
And you can really hear, I mean, you can hear that kind of influence of that late era Beatles, that kind of Paul McCartney style of like bringing in a lot of those string players and horn players and things like that. And also a new world record and and the next album out of the blue, he starts getting into a lot of the more kind of cutting edge musical technologies at the time, like getting into some sampling and some tape loops, like on, on telephone line, there's in the song, there's actually some samples of just telephone lines and things like that. Yeah. Just telefactual sounds of the from the world that Jeff Lynne just brought in a phone to the studio and recorded it and things like that. So he was definitely starting to kind of play with sounds and things like that. And also starting to experiment with some things like vocoders and the beginnings of synthesizers and things like that. So they were definitely, in addition to uh, continuing their kind of quest to use the best musicians in in terms of just like amazing classical performances and things like that. They were also starting to get into some, some studio trickery and some kind of some of the more modernized kind of music practices that have been, have since been perfected in the kind of the decades since. And they were definitely one of the purveyors of a lot of these, a lot of these effects and a lot of these sounds. So here's telephone line off the 1976 album, a new world record. Yeah, you can really hear that Beatles influence on Jeff Lynne big time and uh, kind of playing that back to back. It's really helpful to hear it. Definitely. And you, you can also hear, you know, starting to, you know, whether uh, later bands wanted to admit that they were uh, influenced by Jeff Lynne and ELO or not. But, I mean, you can start to hear influence on on uh, later bands like XTC, maybe the Dandy Warhols. Oh, definitely. Yeah, um, like I can – I'll play a um, XTC song. I mean, honestly, I would I would say there's a fair amount of like sonic influence between like even some of the more like famous XTC songs, like even just making plans for Nigel. Yeah, you can hear a lot of like that kind of kind of almost baroque pop sound from like ELO. So I'll play here just making plans for Nigel off the 1979 album Drums and Wires. Um, off by by XTC here. So here's Making Plans for Nigel. And you can definitely just hear that very kind of like it's 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 upbeat, but it's also still like a little bit of like they're kind of almost in your face about the production of the songs. Mm-hmm. Here's Making Plans for Nigel by XTC from 1979. He must be happy, he must be happy in his world
Yeah, hearing some uh, ELO blood kind of pumping through the veins of XTC there. Definitely. I mean, especially in like the 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 way the drums sound. Like I'm gonna play "Turn to Stone" out of off of "Out of the Blue." Um, we 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 opened with with Mr. Blue Sky, kind of the biggest hit off this album. So I'll play play "Turn to Stone," not to not to double up too heavy, but. The, the 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 drum sound, especially on that XTC sound uh, song, just gave me a very very heavy heavy vibes of like this kind of out of the blue era and kind of discovery as well era um, ELO drum sound where it sounds very big and very cacophonous and you've got that kind of reverb kind of coding almost everything and also the the vocals of that XTC song sound very. Very similar to, in my opinion, so the kind of the way that Jeff Lynn kind of places his voice over a lot of those ELO songs. That's kind of like it's almost I mean, it's it's almost I guess I'd say kind of kookier parts of the music is always the the, the vocal with Jeff Lynn because he doesn't necessarily have the straightest kind of Paul McCartney smooth voice or anything like that. He kind of but he know he knows how to put his voice yes. over that kind of music, but yep. it's not definitely not like. A Roy Orbison or right. a Paul McCartney kind of vocal, but but and that 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 definitely I I definitely feel that with with the XTC as well. But I'm gonna play "Turn to Stone" off of "Out of the Blue" from 1977 here, the opening track from "Out of the Blue" actually. But this is this is ELO's uh, "Turn to Stone." mentioned their 1979 release uh, called Discovery a few minutes ago, and uh, Discovery was a huge album in the UK and the US for ELO, one of their top two albums, um, yeah. and definitely, um, I mean, uh, from an influence standpoint, they picked right up on the uh, the big bass sound of the late 70s. It's definitely sort of their, their sort of disco-influenced no album. Question. Like, you can definitely hear, like, a lot of the Bee Gees. Like, I'll play, yep. I'll play Nights on Broadway real quick here off of the, the Bee Gees album, 1975 album, Main Course. And you can really hear that kind of reliance on, like, the big bass and the kind of synthesizers and things like that, that, that ELO was really kind of expanding into as they kind of, as it got closer and closer to sort of the turn of the decade into the 1980s, but here's Nights on Broadway off of the 1975 album Main Course by the Bee Gees. Nights on Broadway, singing them bird songs, singing them straight to 
Yeah, Brothers Gibb uh, with the Certainly. big disco sound of the mid to late 70s, uh, mid 70s there. And uh, I think you'll probably be able to find something on Discovery that'll kind of sound a little bit like that. I mean, I'm, I'm going to play the uh, the uh, track Last Train to London, which is one of the bigger bigger singles off this off that album, Discovery. It's kind of Last Train to London and the other big, big hit, Don't Bring Me Down, yep. both of which ended up being some of the biggest hits that ELO would have in their whole career. And uh, definitely very, like, probably the the grooviest the band ever tried to really be on a record and definitely, like, the most tuned into, like, disco and yeah. kind of that pop rock sound. Like, this is definitely the album where only, like, only one song on this ELO album actually goes over five minutes, which is kind of a first mm-hmm. for any of theirs. Like, ELO 2, the shortest song on <laughs> ELO 2 is six and a half minutes long <laughs> to go from that in only like five or six years later, yeah. like three and a half minute to four minute pop rock track. So, so here's last train to London off the 1979 ELO album discovery. And, uh, you can definitely hear that very heavy bass and kind of keyboard and synth sound being experimented on with, with, uh, by Jeff Lennon and, and company here with last train to London. So here you go. You know, uh, ELO's influence kind of coming out of uh, that style of music, you know, uh, impacted a lot of people, influenced a lot of bands. Uh, one that comes to mind is Daft Punk. That sort of like that that very disco influence, but still kind of classically indebted sound is definitely something that like um, influenced a ton of artists, especially a lot of more modern artists as as they've kind of started to come back around to to that music of of those years. And I'm going to play like a track off of uh random access memories, the 2013 at the moment, the last full length album LP from Daft Punk. Um, but this song is just called give life back to the music. And you can really hear that, like that combination of disco with some like very heavy classical inspirations and things like that, like some nice strings and things like that kind of popping up and out throughout this out al- the whole album of random access memories but but give life back to the music is a great great kind of track that kind of ties all that together and this this song actually also features um Nile Rodgers of Chic kind of mm-hmm. on on lead guitar as well and that's definitely like a contemporary of of Jeff Lynne's right. kind of from that that era of music like Chic and ELO were definitely musical contemporaries mm-hmm. and things like that so it definitely kind of lends itself to that that kind of time period and that kind of frame of music. So here's Give Life Back to the Music from the 2013 album by Daft Punk Random Access Memories.
Jeff Lynn kind of famously was one of the first, like you heard it in that, in our kind of opening track, Mr. Blue Sky, but Jeff Lynn was one of the first, actually kind of the, I think the first, um, like kind of major charting artist to, to use a vocoder yeah. in any sort of pop music fashion, which definitely kind of snowballed into, you know, 30 years later, Daft Punk kind of coming onto the scene with their whole robot Robot sound, mm-hmm. and um, of course, we'll also we will also want to talk about Jeff Lynne's production career, which is kind of the thing he's most notable for, outside of his work with ELO, and he's been in demand as a producer, and also Jeff Lynne sort of by the by the early '80s seemed to kind of have he kind of lost his um, luster for the band. It seemed like oh for, yeah, for a no, while. he was he was over it. Yeah, for he was a he long was, time actually. He was kind of over the whole. I think he was kind of over just like the touring and working with the same right. group of four or five musicians for the most part. So he really just wanted to kind of get into production and get into things like that. And kind of thankfully he, he made a lot of friends in the music industry and was fairly in, in demand as a producer. So he uh, kind of famously ended up starting that, that uh side project um, and kind of one of his other bands the traveling wilburys with yeah. bob dylan roy orbison tom petty and george harrison kind of a one of the biggest um lineups of any supergroup, maybe the biggest supergroup lineup in music history but kind of between a lot of those guys he'd even he kind of made a name for himself as a producer like like i'm gonna play re- real quick here just a song uh you got it off of the album the 1988 album mystery girl uh this is this this album was actually kind of the um, resurgence album for Roy Orbison's yeah, career for definitely. a few years. He he had kind of faded into sort of obscurity in the in the early '80s, just yeah. kind of playing the oldies circuit because he had been like a big '50s and '60s kind of rockabilly country guy. So yeah. he was obviously like a big influence on on Jeff Lynne in the early years of his career. So when Jeff Lynne kind of found out, oh hey, Roy Orbison's looking for a producer, I want to actually kind of take him in, and I bet I could kind of make him. Famous again, and that's essentially what Roy, Roy Orbison did. He brought in a couple of his other musical friends. Like he, like on this track, you got it. He actually co-wrote the song with uh, Tom Petty, and Tom Petty does some backing vocals. And so, so Roy or so Jeff Lynne was definitely kind of flexing his musical relationship muscles by the by the mid '80s. But but uh, here's you got it. Kind of one of the one of the songs that kind of began a very long string of production collaborations for for Jeff Lynn. So here's You Got It off of the 1988 album Mystery Girl. Anything you want, you got it. Anything you need, you got it. Nothing better than a Roy Orbison vocal. But, you know, you could kind of really hear there, you know, it had that 50s, 60s Roy sound to it. But in, you know, more contemporary type of way, it kind of. Oh, definitely. Yeah. He just, uh, Jeff Lynn kind of figured out how to 
like blend the past with the present in oh, a way. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of that. Like Jeff Lynn is kind of known for a lot of the synthesizers and drum machines. And he knew to kind of stay away from that when he's working with a, like a fifties guy like Roy Orbis and, but he could still do those really big, thick layered acoustic guitars and the right. really great sounding drum set and things like that. So it definitely, it definitely took a lot of what made Roy's original music so iconic and also just kind of brought him into the, the modern world for a lot of the late eighties and early nineties fans and kind of brought him a whole new lease on, on his career for the last few years of his life. Yeah. And kind of one of the, one of the, I guess, I guess the most notable sort of first project that, that, that Jeff Lynn, this was actually this, the, this production was actually before the sessions for mystery girl, but, um, the, uh, cloud nine, George Harrison solo album that, Jeff Lynn kind of produced and, and which kind of um which included this this hit I got my mind set on you which I believe was at least it might have even been number one but it was at least a top 10 hit for George Harrison mm-hmm. which was again kind of a thing that hadn't happened for George since the early 70s like right. there had probably been five or maybe even 10 years since since George had really been on the in a, on the charts by 1987 when this album was coming out but this was a major hit for george harrison and kind of revitalized his career as well so george jeff lynn sort of began to get a reputation as someone who could kind of revitalize careers of like a lot of rock and roll guys that had maybe had what they thought was their their kind of day in the sun but here's got my mind set on you from the 19 87 album Cloud Nine by George Harrison. But it's gonna take money. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Lynn brought big drums, upfront vocals, big sound to George Harrison, um, gave him a big hit. That album definitely has a lot more, at the time, modern production than maybe that that Mystery Girl album did as well. Like, George or Je- Jeff Lynn was definitely getting into his his drum machines and his synthesizer collections mm-hmm. working with, with George Harrison, who was maybe a slightly more modern artist at that point. And uh, I want to also kind of touch on probably... What would become probably Jeff Lynn's most notable production kind of partnership, uh, just probably this album specifically is probably the most notable album outside of his own work that that Jeff Lynn was involved in the production with. But Jeff Lynn was also in that kind of at the turn of the decade in on in 1990, uh, Jeff Lynn was the um, co-producer along with Tom Petty and Mike Campbell for Tom Petty's first official solo album from the Heartbreakers, Full Moon Fever, even though it ended up kind of being a Heartbreakers album with Ben Mont and Mike Campbell playing on at least most of the songs. So, so I'm going to play obviously the biggest, biggest hit off this album here, Free Fallen. Like I I think everyone and their dog kind of knows this song, (laughs) but um, it's definitely Jeff. I mean, this song is actually also a, 
a co-writing credit between Jeff Lynn and Tom Petty, which is a kind of a special relationship. Like Jeff Jeff Lynn wasn't necessarily co-writing with with George Harrison or or Roy Orbison as much. I mean, they were all co-writing together when they were together with the Traveling Wilburys, but in on their own, Jeff Lynn and Tom Petty had kind of a a a special writing relationship that that fed them a lot of hits like I Won't Back Down, Free Fall, and Running Down a Dream are all Tom Petty and Jeff Lynn co-writes. I mean, Running Down a Dream is with Mike Campbell as well, but but even still, it's it there's a they had a very fruitful kind of production and songwriting relationship. And it's honestly probably where both both Tom Petty and Jeff Lynn got a lot of their their uh chump change for the next twenty or thirty years after this album came mm, out. Yeah, for sure. But here's here's Free Fallen. And it's a long day living in Reseda. There's a free way running through the yard. And I'm a bad boy because I don't even miss her. I'm a bad boy for breaking her heart. Well, I think we're giving our listeners a pretty good idea of where the traveling Wilburys came from. I believe the the way kind of everything fell together was George Harrison was working on was kind of finishing up the project that he had been working on after that Cloud Nine album, and he had been working with Jeff Lynne for that album. And George Harrison's record deal was or record company was like, all right, we we want you to release a or want you to do a B side for some single or whatever. Mm-hmm. So so George is like, all right, I kind of have one weekend to come up with a B side. Hey Jeff, let's let's get down to the studio and do a B side. Mm-hmm. And since they didn't have much time to kind of get this session together, the only studio that they could kind of both get to was Bob Dylan's studio because ah. Bob Dylan on his kind of estate had like a pretty pretty state of the art recording studio because by the by the late 80s I think Bob Dylan was kind of like he liked recording and like liked having a recording studio set up but he wasn't necessarily he kind of just wanted to do all of it himself like yeah. he didn't want to have to go out find a studio wherever just and he and he had the the money and the resources to actually put his decent studio together so Jeff, Jeff and, and uh, George are kind of like, all right, let's do this session at Bob's studio. And then Jeff has the idea to go be like, all right, what if we got Roy Orbison in on some backing vocals? Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, George Harrison was super into that idea because it's Roy Orbison on backing vocals. Right. Like that's no, one of the be- better vocalists in Ever. probably rock history. And so allegedly on the way to the studio – George realizes that the guitar he wanted to use was at Tom Petty's house. <laughs> that's that's the story allegedly. That's that's the story Tom Petty would tell in interviews and things like that. So come on down. They go meander on down to Tom's house on the way to Bob's. And Tom's like, oh, yeah, you can have the guitar if, as long as I can come to the studio. Hmm. So that's allegedly the genesis for how, how Traveling Wilburys were born. But I'm going to kind of play real quick here 
handle with care the actual the song that ended up coming out of that initial writing session of the traveling wilburys that cool then george took to his record company and they were like we need a whole album of this essentially (laughs) so that's essentially where the wilburys came from but here's handle with care from the uh, 1988 album traveling wilburys volume one so here's handle with care Definitely a super cool, unique project for those guys, and another great um, producing effort by Jeff Lynn. Definitely, and then I mean, I don't know if that's ever something a group like that at least will maybe not ever happen right. again, where that many musicians with that amount of kind of musical history and everything behind them coming together for a couple almost almost kind of random albums, but. Um, right. And that those that kind of project definitely sort of cemented. I think it cemented both Jeff Lynn and Tom Petty as kind of like the greats among the greats. I mean, it cemented those two, in my opinion, as artists who were kind of supposed to be in a group with other artists of that kind of Bob Dylan, George Harrison caliber. So I, I, I definitely think that that was a, a kind of major major thing for sort of the last half of Jeff Lynn's career and also just like the um his legacy and just the way that kind of people take him and take him seriously like he's kind of in the last like I think kind of last 15 to 20 years he's kind of become a pretty interesting figure for a lot of newer musicians like I know Brandon Flowers from The Killers has also has talked about a lot in interviews about how ELO and Jeff Lynn were very major influences on kind of the killers and when they were kind of finding their style for the sort of last half of the killers career like their first few albums were very post-punk and mm-hmm. and and uh 80s and 90s rock inspired but the, for the last like four or five albums of their career they've sort of taken it back to some of the, some of the more kind of classic rock and um kind of orchestral and pop rock influences like like ELO and and things like that, and and other kind of massive stars have also kind of talked up Jeff Lynn's influence. Like Ed Sheeran is also as has also talked a number of times about how Mr. Blue Sky is one of his favorite songs growing up, and things like that, and how he learned a lot from listening to ELO as a kid and what his parents were showing him and things like that. And I actually think you can probably find it on YouTube. I don't exactly off the top of my head remember what the performance was for, but I know there's a performance somewhere online of Jeff Lynn and Ed Sheeran actually performing together, and they end up doing Mr. Blue Sky and maybe one or two other ELO songs that they might, that I think they maybe spliced together with one of hmm. his kind of more modern pop tracks. I kind of want to leave, I guess, um, the uh, Jeff Lynn episode with one of the um, probably the biggest 
probably to Jeff Lynn, the biggest production gig he ever got, mm-hmm. um, which was working with Ringo Starr, George Harrison, and Paul McCartney on the Beatles anthology projects, both Anthology 1 and Anthology 2, kind of specifically working with the three of them to complete a couple of the uh, demos, Free as a Bird and Real Love, that that John Lennon had actually demoed before he passed away in 1978 to 1979 and actually given to given to Yoko as kind of like a give these to Paul McCartney eventually kind of some tapes and and when when the Beatles anthology project started in the in kind of the mid 90s they were looking for a producer to kind of help them finish up those last two songs and George Martin their kind of regular Beatles producer had just gotten to the point where he was a little too old like his his hearing wasn't what it needed to really be to be in the studio with the with the with the rest of those guys finishing those songs so kind of because of his successful work with with George Harrison and things like that Jeff Lynne was ch- chosen as the producer to help those guys finish those projects or finish those songs and you can really hear I mean you can hear the production style it's I mean the the songs sound amazing they sound very modern I mean they're definitely the two most modern Beatles productions in terms of just like the the way they sound and Jeff Lynne did a it did a great job of putting his kind of sonic signature on the songs while also keeping them very Beatles-esque like you can still you can tell there nothing no one could make those songs other than the Beatles but Still, the drum sounds and the kind of some of the guitar work and things like that are very reminiscent of some of Jeff Lynne's production and things like that. So he definitely left his mark on these Beatles tracks. And I think to him as a as a musician who started out as as one of the most influenced by the Beatles of any of any of those early 70s artists for him to kind of be able to actually work with the band that kind of made him a musician is probably a pretty cathartic thing for Jeff Lynne and also was a very successful endeavor for for Paul George and Ringo and I think John would probably be very happy with the with the way the songs turned out uh so here's free as a bird the anthology one version from 1995 and I think that just about closes out our Jeff Lynne awesome episode of influence so thank you guys for tuning in thanks for listening yeah i've been blake sokoloff and i'm robert dean and this has been influenced uh recorded here at abby cat recordings and uh in over in chicago and here's free as a bird by the beatles and jeff lynn so thank you guys very much have a great one Once new